If you're a Christian, you need to be familiar with these two terms right now, theonomy and reconstructionism. What is that? If you don't know, please stick around because it's imperative that you address this very up-and-coming issue that's been around, but somehow it's gotten new life. And if you are the sorry soul who thinks they're a reconstructionist or thinks they're a theonomist, please stick around because you don't know what you're talking about. Hi, my name is Jessica and I am a recovering reconstructionist. That means that I was once a reconstructionist and am one no longer and need to recover from it. Why am I breaking this down for you? Because recovery entails that there's something sick going on otherwise. There are lots of channels out there and podcasts out there that outline what theonomic reconstructionism is. And it kind of comes from more of a standpoint of the principles behind it and kind of everything's conceptual and there's ideas and how the theology might be warped if you follow such and such to its logical conclusion. I'm coming from a slightly different angle, so I hope that my podcast and channel meets a particular niche. There's also the flip side of everything where there's ex-evangelicals because they used to be conservative Christians and then they just completely went off the deep end because they just decided what the heck. That's certainly not this and I feel like that's most of it, which is very sad. Just because there's an imperfect Christian out there who taught you the wrong things doesn't mean that the truth was not the truth. Let's talk about the word theonomy for a minute first. Etymologically speaking, theonomy is an English word comprised of two... Greek <laughs> words, maybe? I forget. Non-English words. <laughs> Theo and nomos. Theo means God. Nomos means law. In English, you scrunch it together and it means the study of God's law. Now, Christians differ on their opinion of what God's law is in scripture. Some take it to be the entirety of scripture, which I lean toward. Others say it's just the Old Testament. Some say it's just the New Testament because that's what we have to follow. Whatever it is, though, as a Christian, we all believe that there is something that should be obeyed. If you believe that God should be followed in some capacity somewhere in scripture, if there are rules to be followed somewhere, then technically, etymologically, you are a theonomist. You're studying God's law in order to follow is the word's implication. Why am I saying etymologically speaking? Why don't I just jump into the movement? Well, because that's how the theonomists will get you. They'll tell you that they're a theonomist. And if you have no idea what that means, or if you have a bad taste in your mouth about what that means, they'll be like, oh, well, you're a theonomist too. Don't you believe we should obey Jesus? That's not what it is, honey. Believe me, it's not what it is. So please don't. But what they actually mean would not be very palatable, so they don't lead with that. So let's move on. Reconstructionism, what might that be? Well, the word simply means to construct what had been constructed and is no longer constructed, so you're doing it a second time. If you are deconstructing, you are tearing down what had been constructed, and reconstruction would be building it up again, right? So what does that have to do with Christianity? Well, this world is out of order maybe a little bit. So the idea of reconstructing is to rebuild whatever is out of order. 
that's at the base level, etymologically speaking, in the realm of Christianity. So if you are a father or mother raising your family in the fear and admonition of the Lord, you are technically, etymologically speaking, a Reconstructionist Christian because you are rebuilding a family. Not that your family was out of order, but the family at large is sick because culture tells all kinds of lies about what a family looks like and what a family should consist of. So you doing it right is part of reconstructing the family order that had been broken down. You know, Adam kind of screwed up a little bit, so whatever came unraveled because of his sin is up for reconstructing again, however we're able to. If you do well in school, if you do well at work, you are partly a reconstructionist because you are bringing back the ideas into the spheres of school and work, diligence, good stewardship, consistency, reliability, all those kinds of things, which are concepts that have been destroyed by society. So you holding on to those aspects of life, that's partly Reconstructionism. Of course, that's not what the movement is, because it's got to be more than that, because otherwise everybody would identify as a Reconstructionist and there wouldn't be a movement, right? Okay, fine. And again, they will say, oh, but you're probably a reconstruction i mean don't you want things to look better in the world aren't you kind to your neighbors don't you participate in your child's education in one way shape or form? like there's no such thing as a movement if everything in the movement is the same as everything else that's why there's a group so what is the movement now a couple things before i say that because i'm gonna get crucified You can't really be a Reconstructionist without being a Theonomist. They go hand in hand. I'm pretty sure you can't be a Theonomist without being a Reconstructionist either. So they go hand in hand both ways. So that's one thing. The other thing is, I promise you what I'm about to say is going to make people who identify as Theonomic Reconstructionists say, that's not what we say. That's not what we believe. That's your strawmanning stuff. Yeah. Except I'm not, because while you may not put things into the terminology that I'm going to so blatantly lay before you, the everyday wake up Monday morning lifestyle that you lead literally amounts to this. And as someone who has been bombarded with this from day one of her comprehension ability, I promise that the principles that you absorb because they are pounded over and over and over completely outweigh Anything else that you think might have balanced the entire ballgame out to be. All right? So don't give me. I am literally making this channel to prove that point, or this podcast, if that's what you're listening. Theonomic Reconstructionism has become a movement that says you, you arrived as a Christian once you become, in one way, shape, or form, politically active. That's it. There's other facets. We'll get into all that. But that's the, that's the cream of the crop here. If you have not decided to become politically active in one way, shape, or form, and it doesn't necessarily even mean running for office or anything like that. It means somehow address, the, the, the code name is somehow speak to the culture or become politically active or loud about how decrepit culture is in some way. You haven't quite arrived yet, and you haven't really understood the entirety of the gospel. As if the gospel has anything to do with government in that sense. 
Now, it doesn't have nothing to do with government, but it doesn't have everything to do with government. Like, the dichotomy that they paint just drives me nuts. It's like, oh, well, you think that we shouldn't have anything to do with government? You, you think that God is not sovereign over government? You think Jesus is not Lord over government and, and leaders? I didn't say that. I said that that's not the central theme of our existence. There's a big difference there. So you want to show there's not two two things here. Let me back up even more for a minute. Where did this entire theonomic reconstructionism idea come from? Like, is that just like brand new? No, it's not brand new. But it came about probably strongest in the 80s, I want to say. Before my time a little bit. But some names you might have heard of. Um, R.J. Rush Dooney, Greg Bonson. There's a myriad of different places you can go online to read about what is theonomic reconstructionism and the founding of it, if you will, or the the propagating of the idea. And you know, even before it had a name, probably. But let me just say before we even go on that these men, these guys who wrote these books and propagated these ideas about political or or more abstractly cultural involvement. We're not off their rocker. Let me just tell you, I'll go back to a lot of things they say all the time. They were responding to a lot of inertia from the Great Awakening, even, heck, the Enlightenment, probably. But the movements of, what is it called? Like the the, the, the revival. The, um, there was something or other where people just decided that Christians were the antithesis of culture. As opposed to culture being whatever Christianity is on display. So if Christianity is sick, the culture is going to be sick because people's hearts are not in the right place. It's just going to happen. So a lot of these guys who came up with this theonomic reconstructionist movement were responding to a, a very real problem. Don't blame them whatsoever. And their shtick was, look, you can't claim to be a Christian and then decide that there are aspects of your life that God doesn't care about his eye is on the sparrow he's certainly watching your president and your local representatives and if you don't care that the people who are supposed to represent you are sinning with their lawmaking that's a problem like you don't have to be like marching city hall necessarily you don't have to be doing everything that the current reconstructionist movement is saying you have to do but you can't just be completely uninterested and uninformed about what's going on. God does have something to say about all these different aspects. And then, of course, how do they back up their claims? Through scripture, as anybody should. So they would say, look, there are scriptural principles laid out, many of which are in the Old Testament, based on how Israel was structured. That could very well apply to today's day and age. I mean, why not? Because there's no other place in scripture that said, oh, yeah, well, that was then and this is now. That's where things start to get a little hairy. Because while I am still, even now, sympathetic with the idea that there are a lot of things to glean from ancient Israel's structure as far as some safe ideas for a society to be structured by, it didn't work. Like, did you miss that part? Like, Israel didn't work. And it wasn't because God screwed up. It was like, dang, I shouldn't have told him not to do that. It wasn't that. It was the fact that Israel couldn't keep God's law because man can't follow God's law perfectly. That is literally why we need a savior. Needed, need, all the above, a savior. 
So there's this tension between the gospel and the law amongst Reconstructionist Christians, which there shouldn't be any tension. Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill. And that's a big one with the theonomic crowd, let me tell you. I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill, right? The Reconstructionists will emphasize that I did not come to destroy the law portion, while everybody else will emphasize the fulfill portion for better or worse. A lot of people, incorrectly, will emphasize the but to fulfill and, well, yeah, he kept the law and we don't have to obey it anymore. We can do whatever we want because grace. Rightly so. The theonomic reconstructionists are a little concerned with that because, you know, you will know them by their fruits. And if you think that God's just a Santa Claus, you know, Christ is just a Santa Claus to give you what you want and you can just be a wayward son, you got to be pretty twisted to think that Scripture is contoning that. But the I did not come to destroy the law portion. Somehow the Reconstructionists say, well, see, we have to keep obeying it. And I emphasize the have to as being incorrect because you don't have to do anything anymore to earn Jesus' favor. He already said it is finished. The reason we keep God's law is because... We wish to express our thankfulness and our love for him in response to what he has already done. We have a completely different motivation for obedience. Now, I mean, you want to get really theological. Technically, everyone in the Old Testament had the same motivation because they knew that Christ was coming and Christ being slain before the foundation of the world was already died on the cross and uh, suffered hell. For those people as well. There was no like purgatory pre-Christ actually coming on earth. But for purposes of this podcast and channel, we don't have the burden anymore. Let me tell you, there is such a burden, such a weight, such a... (sighs) That I have experienced and continue to experience because of inertia of the crapshoot it was about... You're not worth much unless you do the things. Like certain sins are indicative of you not being saved. Certain ones. There's a hierarchy of sins that... I agree... Wait, 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 wait. I agree that there are certain sins that show just how far you are currently from Christ But there are no sins, large or small, that are like the turning point for Christ to be like, oh, we're done with you now. When we see people keeping God's law and the principles that he's laid forth, it is indicative of how well they are in relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it's what happens when you're in harmony. You desire to serve him when you are in love with him, you know? When you are sinning, you are farther away. God is constant. He doesn't change. He's staying right where he is. We're the ones running away, running to him, running away. We're all over the map. And so what we do is indicative of how much in, in I don't want to say unity because our unity in Christ doesn't change, but like how much we're in sync, <laughs> such a trash word, but how well, how healthy our relationship is with him at that moment. 
And we don't want to be in poor relationship with Christ. We want to be in a good relationship with him. We want to have that ease of prayer and, and the you know, reading of the scripture without any conscience hindrance. We want to absorb what he says and, and just be in that communion. That is what the law does it's a measuring stick i suppose by which to measure not your salvation not whether or not you're in the fold as we believe christ died anyway like i'll get it anyway i'm going ahead of myself but it's a measuring stick by which we measure how much we are in communion and relationship with christ we desire we should desire to do those things to please him out of our love for him. Because when you love someone, you want to please them. It is not to show how much saved we are. Unless, oh, of course, like, obeying the law doesn't, you know, mean that you're, you're not going to earn salvation by being obedient. Of course we believe that. But practically speaking, I'll say it again, it doesn't amount to that. When you're living the theonomic reconstructionist day-to-day life, it doesn't amount to that. And the reason is because they're constantly pointing you back to what your life looks like to measure whether or not you are saved. Because they're hung up on the you'll know them by your fruits. Christ says that. You will know them by their fruits. And then the Reconstructionists will go, oh, well, you'll know if they're saved by whether or not they're obedient. No, Christ literally said, judge not that ye be not judged. And everyone's like, oh, well, we're supposed to be judges of the earth and judge. Yes, we're supposed to judge actions, whether or not they line up with scripture and encourage people to pursue a healthy communion with Christ through repentance of their sin and by desiring to please him again by obeying what he says not by just obeying it because it's like the the what's the word i had a good one the other day it's not about obeying him because it's like the formula yes it the formula it's not a formula salvation is not a formula that we can spearhead it's already done what part of it is finished did you miss the boat on now reconstruction is the anonymous the anonymist. The anonymist. That's my new one. The anonymists will say, it is finished means that you can't accept Christ because he chose you. And so, yes, that is. But then they're like, and that's all it means. Did you not miss the memo on the fact that Christ came to fulfill the law? That's the other part. The fulfillment of the law was not the fact that he kept it for the last time that it needed to be kept in the sense that now it serves no purpose for mankind. But yes, he did keep it for the last time that it needed to be kept to satisfy the debt that we owed to God. Everything's on him now. So it's in order to earn salvation, in order to like prove to the world that we are saved, it was done for the last time. The last time. Oh, I hit my elbow. Dang. <laughs> And reconstructionists don't get it. They, like, it's the language that's perfect. You have to. We have to do this. We must do that. We have to. We this. We have to. We have to. We have to. There's so much pressure on a child. I'm talking about a friend here, of course. But when you're on this with kids from day one, 
that they have to, have to, have to, have to, not because you're teaching them like, oh, we need to obey God because we love him and we want to show him like, okay, in that sense, you have to. But it's like this burden that there's something else to be completed, something else. And all right, they've just like, I got it. They've just traded Arminianism with legalism. Not really legalism in the sense that, like, they're they're more gracious than real legalists. I guess there's, like, fundamentalist Baptists that are, like, a little more legalistic in the sense that there's a jillion, like, man-made traditions. I think they're Reconstructionists, theonomists are not quite there. There are sects of them, sects of the sects that are like that, believe me. But there's a, there's a, there's a there's such a, like, a mix-up about emphasis. Reconstructionists get really triggered by people who say you know it's all about the gospel like the it's all about the gospel it's all about the salvation message the thing i keep hearing ad nauseum is that yes but there's more is there really to be fair i get what they're trying to say what they're trying to say is that our salvation frees us to do more than just reminisce about that moment where we were converted. And when I say frees up, it's like, you know, if you get married, the rest of your life is not spent reminiscing about the wedding day. Probably the greatest day of your life, sure, but you got to be alive and like do something now. Everything you do is now tainted that's a bad word because it's a positive thing but like everything you do is now done under the umbrella of being married so your marriage touches everything you do the light of christ touches everything you do and transforms it so that is why reconstructionists theonomists christians will say yes but there's more to the gospel because they're trying to insinuate that you can't just preach the beginning game when we do need the sanctification process in order to be in better relationship with him. Like the sanctification process is just is the ongoing portion. Like we can't just keep over and over and over. I mean, in a sense, crucifying Christ over and over. But that's not what they say. If you're saying that, say that. Don't say yes, but there's more. And like the fact that they don't go through all the detail that I just described and they simply go, yes, but there's more because we have to this. And they go onto that like knee jerk reaction thing again, tells me that 90% of these theonomic reconstructionists don't actually believe that the gospel message of salvation and Christ dying on the cross was enough. They actually think there's more. A big one's like, well, if you don't preach, there's more than there's complacency. You know what? If there's complacency, they're not a real Christian. That's not on you. You're not responsible for getting people to be obedient. That's not your job. Dang. Your job is to preach Christ and him crucified. That includes all the aspects of sanctification. Yes. But that's all I'm going to say about this for now. I hope that I can shed some light on what actually happens in the life of someone who is raised in theonomic reconstructionist camps in order so that you can identify it if you see it, if you come across it, if you hear it on the internet, because 
Reconstructionism and Christian nationalism at that, and even Kinism, which are the other slippery slope aspects that I wasn't in. But in any case, it's it's cousins. When you see these online, when you see these on you know radio, whatever, I don't know, weird groups out there. Let me tell you, you can have an answer, and you can avoid some of the pitfalls that they might set for you. So buckle up. If you are a Christian, you need to be familiar with these two terms. Christian If you are a Christian, you need to be familiar with these two terms. Theonomic Theonomy. If you are a Christian, you need to be familiar with these two terms. Theonon Theonomy. If you are a Christian, you need to be familiar with these two terms if you're not already. Theonomic Oh my gosh.